Well, dig this. It's the second Wednesday of the month at 11 o'clock. It's time for The Dirt Bag, a garden variety show. And oh, look who's here. Mr. Jim Gilbert is back to my right. So happy to be here, Glenn. It's been a busy month for Jim, he tells me, and we'll hear about uh, much of that. I'm sure it's been a busy month for you, too, our listeners, as it's membership time. So some of you, I'm sure, have been going to your phones and computers to figure out a way to donate to this station. What are those three ways, Jim? We'll just <laughs> we'll just tell you right off the bat, and then we'll get into what we're doing. Sure. Well, you can go to kboo.fm slash give, <laughs> which is easy. Yeah, that's pretty darn easy. And uh, for those that like to do texting, you can text... Uh, KBOO to 44321. And I have no idea what will happen after you do that, but <laughs> apparently that works. And uh, for those of you who love to support the Postal Service, you can mail a check. And uh, if anybody still has checks, uh, to uh, KBOO, 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97214. You know, this doesn't really matter too much at all one way or the other, but it's it's been interesting to me that for long-time listeners or even short-time listeners will know I'm a beekeeper, produce honey, and my biggest account is a donut shop, and a wonderful donut shop, and they pay me every time I drop off honey. And I'm surprised at how many times they pay me with a check that the workers, anybody can kind of write a check, but uh, some of those workers have not ever filled out a check or have not for <laughs> for many moons. Yeah, businesses, you know, we are business, of course, too. We do a lot, everything, a lot with checks, but uh, credit cards are certainly a lot, very ubiquitous these days. Yeah. And uh, uh, other methods, well, I guess, as well. This isn't a finance show, but uh, I, th I think that, um, and I think this is happening more and more, that students would, are or should be being taught, you know, just basic finance things like, you know, there's fees involved with credit cards. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and when, when you're the buyer, you don't incur those fees. I remember taking a class in high school on how to write a check. Yeah. That was a few years ago. A few years ago, yeah. So, all right. Well, anyway, we're here to talk about gardening stuff, not to mention film stuff. This and, and re, you know, related, certainly. Jim yep. will give us an update on the uh, documentary and that it, it had its premiere showing uh, the last week. Sunday. And yeah. uh, it was to, you know, invited the the hottie tots around. It was kind of a screening, too. I mean, we oh, wanted to, yeah, we yeah. had never shown it to a group of people before, so we wanted to get reactions to it. And now we're going to, we're working on making a few tweaks and changes. And, yeah. um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Well, that's a nice thing that you're able to do that because you're working with the producer of this. 
or the engineer. What's uh, Joe's uh, uh, title? Well, Joe Wilson uh, would be editor, and I mean, yeah, it, you know, basically editor. Yeah, and, yeah. And well, he's uh, he has the capability to edit it. Yeah, no, he's an amazing guy, and his <laughs> skills are incredible, and which, I'm happy to work with him. Which which reminds me to say that we will we will be back next month, but it'll be a, a live recording of the show. We'll do that a couple of weeks uh, before that, yeah. as we can't do it live in November. So we won't be able to take your calls. But we will be able to take your calls today, 503-231-8187. I'll give you a rundown of the show so you can... Look forward to what's coming up next. It's persimmon time. Yep. It's our plant of the month. Mm-hmm. We then we'll get uh, more information on the Jim's Jim and Joe's documentary. I'll talk some about leaves. I'm thinking that it's probably about time f- next month, since we won't be able to take calls next month, that I might do my litany of there must be 50 ways to love your leaves. I try to do that every three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. And we've got a garden stumper at the bottom of the hour. We will tell you what we can still do in the garden and farm and what's going on to, to get ready for, for the prep, because uh, prepping for the winter and spring, because what you do now makes a big difference about what happens in the spring in your garden there. Jim's been traveling here and abroad on olives, and so we'll get some update on what he's learned about olives and how that might affect what's available here. Our dirtbag dictionary term has to do with composting, uh, the carbon to nitrogen ratio. And since we're talking about leaves, I thought we'd talk a little bit about composting there. And what's annoying me this month, I don't subscribe to any channels that would allow me to watch many sports events. But when I do, because I like to watch uh, certainly duck football, and when it's on national television or, or broadcast television, ABC, whatever, it is just so hard to hear the announcers because either they, they have microphones in the crowd or they've got windows open to the crowd, and all you can hear is crowd noise and not the announcers. It annoys me. But that's neither here nor there today. It will be on Saturday, however. (laughs) So anyway, uh, once again, if you have a gardening question, feel free to to call and ask us, 503-231-8187. And if you're too shy, you can send an email to thedirtbag at kboo.org and ask the question, and we will answer that on the next show. And it's really great to hear from listeners, so you know, please, yes. please don't hesitate to well, give us a shout. Let me mention that we will have our three tunes, but we are only able to get to one of those last month. And so I'm just mm-hmm. repeating those mm-hmm. this month So because we had so many calls. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And uh, also persimmons. Yeah. Not ripe yet. Oh, uh, contraire. Oh, you got someone? Yes. Well, the big news this year for me, and I and I mean, I actually lost sleep over this. I was so excited that some years ago we, we were able to import some varieties from Korea. That uh, we have a friend there, and, and, and it was just exciting because they had their own persimmon breeding program there. 
and and one of them, a variety we we've uh, we have a, a called Cardinal. It's a, a new one, and, and sadly, we're not. There's not a lot of them available right now, but by next year, for sure, we'll have a bunch of them. Uh, uh, is is a it's like it's in what we call non-astringent, so you you eat it like an apple. You don't doesn't have to get soft before you eat it, and it was ripe in mid-September. Oh. The first thing, I mean, I couldn't believe it. For, I've never seen a persimmon ripen so early, and it, it was at least two to three weeks before the next one. And in fact, we're still counting till the next early yeah. variety ripens. So it's a it's it's a remarkable new one, and I'm I'm, I'm like I said, I was like losing sleep thinking about maybe I'll get my grandson to help me, and we'll plant a little orchard and put the market them in Portland or something someday. But uh, it's a, it's pretty cool. It's a beautiful fruit. Too. And are they, they're orange, no doubt. They're bright, we're bright orange. Yeah. And are they as flavorful as the other ones or is there any? They're good. Yeah, they're good. I mean, you know, probably, you know, there's probably ones that might be a little bit better than that, uh-huh. but I'm certainly not bad. And my, my, my grandkids were just visiting and we ate a lot of them, sliced them up and they scarfed them down. So these are, you said they're astringent, non-astringent, 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 and you know I and I and I want to make sure that listeners know. I mean, I I'm, I like persimmons, and I've been growing them for a long, long time. And arguably, persimmon is probably the most popular or widely grown fruit in the world because you think of China and Japan, Korea, Vietnam. I mean, there's all of Asia people grow persimmon trees, and. The astringent varieties are also really good, and I and some people don't like that when it when they get soft like that. But I think they're wonderful. And, yes, uh, and I like them like them both ways. And I probably mentioned before on a show about something we learned at a persimmon conference in Spain in 2016, where they actually will take an astringent type, and this is a big thing in Spain, and they treat it with CO2. Mm. And, um, and they take the ripe persimmon, but it's not soft yet, and you can't eat it. And they and they put it in a, a, a chamber. We've done it in plastic bags. And with CO2 for 24 hours at 70 degrees, and it changes the texture of the fruit. And it, it makes a different fruit out of it. It's like a melon almost. It's like still, uh-huh. it gets a little soft, but uh, really flavorful, really cool. Did so, you say that it's that it's ripe, but not Edible. Edible. That's right. The asp- and it's, it's not edible. Why? Because it's astringent. Meaning that it would be too, it would pucker you up. Yeah, pucker you up. Yeah, you will not, you will regret it. And in fact, I used to be concer- frustrated and not happy, and I probably still am a little bit, about stores that sell, <laughs> you know, the Hachia variety, which is a nice, beautiful persimmon. If you go to a, a, a uh-huh. supermarket in November, you buy Hachia persimmons. There's no sign that on one, at least there hasn't been any kind of sign, information that said, don't eat this right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wait. So we need a different word, really, because ripe implies that it's ready. So it's ma- mature or it's partially mature. You call it mature, sure, if you want. But it's inedible yet. Not, not edible. Yeah. yeah. Premature. It's premature. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Premature fruit. <laughs> Looks good, but it's not ready to eat yet. Yeah, you're right. And so these, what did you call it? Jubilee, diamond. The one, the, the new one is called Cardinal. Cardinal, jeez. But there are, if you, uh, I'm sure if you go to the One Green World website, uh, you will see a lot of different varieties, and and uh, uh, and they have, I think, a few of the Cardinal as well. The uh, 
Um, and, you know, we, I said, I've been doing persimmons for a long time and I really, really like them. They're so disease, they're disease, they don't get disease, have disease problems. Yeah. They're easy to grow. Bird and, problems. Well, Big bird problems in my neighborhood. If they get ripe. Ripe. Soft, then yeah. the birds will eat on them. But the yeah. but the, if they're not soft, the birds won't bother them. So the the non-astringent kind, you know, you pick those when they're not soft, and there's no issue with it. Yeah. And the and the and the and the other really neat thing about it is, I, I think of persimmon is probably one of the most attractive and ornamental fruiting trees because the beautiful fall color, the bright yep. orange fruit. Once yeah. the leaves and then. The leaves will fall eventually, and the orange fruit will hang on, and it's kind of like it's well, a special little holiday tree. By that time, they're ripe. When the leaves are gone, when leaves I are would gone, say they're ripe. They, yeah. If they, yeah, if they're green on the tree and the leaves are gone, then they're not ripe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they probably won't be. But that variety you wouldn't want to grow here anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing more and more persimmons in the in the neighborhood. Neat. Maybe I just know yeah. what to look for, but... Uh, well, I, I, as I said, I, they're one of, as you probably can tell, they're one of my favorite fruits, and and uh, uh, I'll be I'll talk about them as much as I can. Yeah. Well, we'll move on now. Uh, let's. Uh, Ty, are you ready for our our first tune? Yeah. Okay. Good. Ty's ready. Well, uh, just a little bit of setup here. Uh, it's the same theme as as last m- month, and I'm just going to play this the first tune again, which we did play last month, but it's worth playing again. And the theme is, it may not be COVID, meaning, hmm, you might have something else. into one of my instruments, trombone. Did you play the trombone? Did. Oh. Yep, played it for 
50 years before, or 45 years, and then I changed over to the electric bass. Yep. Amazing. I had no idea. Well, uh, that was Diane Schur, a blind player playing with the Count Basie Orchestra. Boy. Pretty good. Can they swing it? Yep. Hit the groove there. Okay, well, we just want to remind you once again that we are in our membership drive now, and there are many ways that you can, well, at least three ways that you can donate. I don't know if you'd probably, we'd probably take you in person too, but uh, we don't, we're not set up like we have been in the past when we've had our membership drives when phones and people were all over the place and food was all over the place. But it's pretty easy. It's very easy to donate now. Go to kboo.fm slash give. You can text KBOO to 44321. That's those five numbers, 44321. Hey, that's my password. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and you can mail a check to 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, or 97214. Okay, speaking of or... That's Oregon. Yep. Jim has spent, I don't know, two years, three years? 2019 we started. Yeah, well, that's four years then. Yeah. On the documentary. What's it called? An Oregon Story. Yeah. Saving our beaches, farmland, and more. And it's an amazing story, really. And I, I, I'm just in awe of all the cool people we got to interview and honored by them. Some have sadly have passed away since we interviewed them. Uh, but so many, I, what inspired me to do the work on this, to, to, to do this film, was my realization a few years ago that there were virtually, I mean, the vast majority of Oregonians don't know this part of Oregon history and how Oregon became such a cool state, a great place to live, work, farm, and recreate. And uh, there were some very far-sighted people who thought ahead and did the 50 years ago actually was the anniversary of Senate Bill 100, which created urban growth boundaries around Oregon cities, and and a unique, very unique, groundbreaking measure that has never been equaled in the United States. And so, you know, when you drive outside of Portland or Salem or Eugene or Malala or any any town or city, incorporated town or city in Oregon. You don't drive into strip malls and subdivisions. You drive into agricultural land or forest land or something else, but not that kind of development that plagues so many other locations, states in, the, in America. So we started in 2019, Joe Wilson and I uh, working on this film. We stopped for a while because of the pandemic. We started again in 20, January 2022 and traveled all around the state interviewing folks. Uh, Joe wrote the script. I edited it. We... Uh, We've got uh, Robert Liberty, one of the old timers around here who has been involved with this for years to narrate it for us. And finally, after a lot, a lot of work, we showed it to a select group of people, primarily the people we'd interviewed and some other folks who were involved with land use planning on Sunday uh, to acclaims. And it was a, an emotional experience, really, because Joe and I had never showed it to a group of people before. And we and you know like wow we no idea what the reaction would be and and, uh, and and did they cheer and they clapped and they laughed and they you know it was and there's some pretty amazing scenes in this film uh, which uh, and just I'm, I'm awestruck by like I said like one part 
uh, my my one of my best friends sadly left us in in April, but Bill Bradbury, former Secretary of State, in the early 1970s, after the Senate Bill 100 was passed, uh, the organization, one of the organizations that was found, uh, came out of that, was called the Land Conservation and Development Commission, and and they went around the state and talked to people about what they wanted to see in Oregon, what kind of planning, what, what, what did they want? And that was, you know, they didn't, wasn't, this wasn't a top-down thing. And Bill filmed it. And there's clips from some of his oh. film in this, in this documentary, which are just like, wow. I mean, it's, it's really amazing, you know, to think about. But um, I, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're making some tweaks. And after showing it to these folks, we got some ideas about how we could do some improvements to it, make a few changes. We're working on that now, and we're hoping to start showing it in theaters, uh, possibly, possibly early, early, very early December. It looks like uh, the potential right now, and then, and then eventually we'll have it online. But uh, I would uh, encourage listeners who uh, who are interested and would like to see it to go to www.anoregonstory altogether a n o r e g o n s t o r y dot com. And you can hear a, and watch a, a, a really inspiring trailer and also sign up for updates on when and where the film's going to be available. So www.anoregonstory.com. Do you, where do you anticipate it being? Do you, have, do you have theaters lined up? We don't have anything lined up yet, but we're uh, just starting that process. We, and that's kind of been that's, that's our next, my next project. Uh-huh. And uh, uh-huh. we're hoping the Hollywood Theater here in Portland for sure. Uh, Corvallis, Corvallis, Eugene, Salem. And if we can get, if we can get, two, uh, three or three of those, you know, in December, that would be great. And then we'll be doing more in January after the holidays. Yeah. yeah. But I hope to. I, I'd love to have it all over the state because it is. It's not a political film. It doesn't. Uh, there's no alienation in it. You know, it's not like you know people are going to choose sides. I mean, unless you're a developer and you want to build houses on farmland, yeah, you're probably yeah. going to like the film. How long? Is it currently? Currently, it's a hundred minutes, but we're uh-huh, we're working uh-huh. on shaving that down a little bit. Uh huh. Uh huh. Work for Major League Baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting, Glenn, because neither Glenn nor I had ever done anything like this. Glenn has experience. Joe. Sorry, Joe. Glenn, you're Glenn. Not him. Yeah. Joe, you haven't done it either. But uh, Joe and I had not done anything like this. Joe had done other short video stuff uh-huh. and, and uh, his skills are amazing and, and I should just mention his business Bergman Productions uh, if anybody's interested in having uh, video work done it's he, his skills are incredible and you've you've l- listeners if you've listened to, uh, regularly for the last three years you've heard Joe's uh, or I guess maybe he's talked some but anyway you've experienced his uh, production because he recorded the shows the dirtbag shows when we weren't yep. uh, in the studios. That's right. So he came, saved our butts. Yep. Came out to I came out to the nursery. Glenn and I would get together with Joe and record the show, which was really a yeah. nice experience. And that's what's going to happen next uh, for next month too. Yep. Yep. But we're, we'll be recording a couple of weeks early, but that's all right. Yep. We can manage that. Yep. Okay. And Oregon story. Uh-huh. And dot it, com. If you want to get more information. Yep. yep. And I'm sure you'll be listing. 
where it will be shown when you know that. Absolutely, and I and I have, I've, I've over the past few months, I've mentioned that I have a little f- flyer that a handout that we've created, and I'd be happy to send that to folks. And you can write to me at my own personal email address if you'd like to get a copy, which is Jim. Uh, you can write. To, um, what should I use the one? Okay, you could Jim at NorthwoodsNursery.com. All right. Well, thanks, Jim. That's exciting, and uh, we look forward to that. Thanks, Glenn. I presume it'll just be the regular uh, theater admission. It'll, you know, that. I, well, my of course, my the the film is going not. We're not going to charge the theaters anything for the film, so it hopefully will be less expensive than a typical yeah. admission. And and you know, we want you know we want the theaters to you know the ones that will be showing it to be able to make some money doing it you know because pay for their expenses yeah and uh but my my goal is to just get this out to oregonians because i think you know this is a way to uh you know showing this and educating folks about it it's it's a way to hopefully keep this system in place for uh, decades to come because it's really very important to our state jim's too modest to say that at the hollywood theater that that Jim will be supplying the uh, concession stand with persimmons. <laughs> no, that's well, not true either. <laughs> well, I'd love to do it. That's a really good point, Glenn. We'll see what happens, what I've got in the way of fruit at that time. If it was a bad film, that although I can see you know, the cartoon, you know, throwing fruit at the wouldn't, screen, wouldn't that be an amazing draw though to have fruit at the? I mean, if, <laughs> maybe we'd have pineapple guava. Uh, and in early December, that would, yeah. still, that would that would be that would be fun. Pawpaws will be over by then, probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but well, you know, I'll see. I'll I'll work on that one. Thanks. All right. Okay. Well, uh, let's. Uh, are we ready? Uh, Ty, you're probably ready for another tune. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, the first one, yes, Diane, sure. Caught a touch of your love. Well, now we have uh, the Steve Miller band called. Uh, Once again, the theme, it may not be COVID. This tune, You Got Me Dizzy. Yeah, may not be COVID. He might just be in love. <laughs> Stevie Guitar Miller. Okay, well, uh, before we get to the Garden Stumper, I'll just give you uh, a brief heads up on that leaves are now falling, and uh, the leaves are probably the single best source of free nutrients for your garden. In fact, even if you had to pay for nutrients, you probably get more nutrients from 
you couldn't buy what leaves can give you. You just have to compost them first. And I'll talk more about that a little bit uh, next month, I think. But uh, realize that even if you don't have leaves uh, coming in your yard because you don't have deciduous trees, everybody lives near a park, and, and you could probably go up there and rake some up because the parks is going to do that anyway. And get a bag or two or three of maple leaves, and you won't regret it. But uh, either compost them as just leaves, although that will take uh, two to three years, or you can mix them in your compost, which uh, is, is easy to do. But we need to pay attention to the carbon to nitrogen ratio, which I will uh, mention in... Uh, we'll come back to that right after uh, we do the... The garden stumper. Ty, you got my garden stumper ready to go there? We got a theme even. All right. Tis time. Okay, well, this is kind of a, could be an easy one. It could make you think a little bit. Which, if any, of the following fruits are not native to the United States? Uh-huh. The anticipation builds. Mm -hmm. Strawberries, persimmons, grapes, pawpaws. Black cherries. Okay, there's five of them for you. Which, if any, are not native. Strawberries, persimmon, grapes, pawpaws, or black cherries. 503-231-8187. And if you are the first caller, or if you are the caller with the first correct answer, you will win a gardening a tool, a hand tool sharpening from Coley Farm Store at the corner of 42nd and Northeast Alberta Street. Okay, I will get to the garden or to the uh, composting or the uh, dirt bag dictionary term right now, which is carbon to nitrogen ratio. And this is important. And those that aren't really into composting but are into gardening will kind of probably have an idea of what I'm going to talk about here. But it's important if you want compost to to compost uh, quickly, meaning from three months to a year, then you have to pay attention to the ratio of the carbon and nitrogen molecules, if you will, that you're putting into the compost pile. And the the ideal carbon to nitrogen ratio for a carbon for a compost pile is thirty to one. That is to say, we want thirty times more carbon molecules than nitrogen, which seems like an awful lot. But that, as it turns out, is what the microorganisms that are in the compost pile need to fuel their bodies. We, humans, we need, maybe it's a similar ratio, maybe 30 times as much carbon, carbohydrates, if you will, to nitrogen sources real squishy things like strawberries. 
or vegetables or whatnot. And so if, when we're feeding the organisms in our compost pile, we want about 30 times as much carbon as nitrogen. Now, does that mean 30 times as much? No, because the volumes, carbon is much, much more dense. Think of trees or limbs or even leaves a little bit. If you took a stump or a log, let's say a log, and you just put it in your compost pile, it, not much is going to happen to that for decades, analogous to a tree falling in the forest. But if you chipped up that log and had a lot more surface area for the microorganisms to start beat, eating it, then it would be much, much quicker. You, maybe that you get the, the visual. So we gardeners have to learn, well, what's a carbon source and what's a, a nitrogen source? Sometimes it's taught about color. You know, you have browns and greens, and it's true to a point, but it falls down on some very important uh, materials. Most carbon materials are brown, such as leaves or straw, hay, and branches if they're chipped up. But manure is also brown, but that's not considered a carbon source. That's a nitrogen source. Coffee grounds, well, they're brown, but they're not carbon, mostly. They're more nitrogen. So the point is, when you mix all the stuff that goes into your compost pile together, you want to have that correct molecular, if you will, ratio of 30 to 1. And it turns out that if you say you put in two bags of leaves, you would need to put in about one bag of grass. So not 30 to 1, it might be 2 to 1 as far as volume. If you have way, 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 way too much carbon, say it's all sawdust in there, then nothing's going to happen in your compost pile. If you have too little carbon, say you just put in a bag of grass in there, not much is going to happen either. Well, it'll start putrefying. And then there's also the uh, particle size that matters and the amount of water that you have in. And uh, it should be about the consistency of a wrung out sponge. So that's a little uh, primer there on composting. And so when you're putting in leaves, put in some other nitrogen materials. And there's lists in gardening books and online about what are nitrogen materials. And coffee grounds are a good source. And if you, So if you don't have any other nitrogen, go to a coffee shop. I'm sure they'll allow you to use their leaves. Okay, so that's that on that. We wanted to talk a little bit about uh, uh, cover cropping going on in the in the uh, farm and garden. Uh, yeah, Glenn. Well, I, um, one of the other amazing things that's happened this year. I mean, this has been a fun year, honestly. And uh, but so we, I might have mentioned last year, last for a couple of years now, we've been planting a cover crop of triticale, which is a cross of rye and wheat, a grain, combined with common vetch, which grows up, the, the triticale provides something for the vetch, which is a vine, to grow on, and the vetch f fixes nitrogen in the soil, and triticale adds just a lot of uh, organic matter to the soil. So it's a pretty neat cover crop, works pretty well for us, and we do it at a fairly large scale. 
Um, this year, a couple of things happened. One, we have a neighbor who has some equipment to do this, and he came over, and we had such a nice stand uh, that he combined part of it. And uh, we, <laughs> amazingly, I mean, we had, it was a, the, when he combined it, the, uh, he combined both the vetch and the triticale and got the mixture of seeds, which is not edible, really. You don't, I mean, vetch is not such a great thing to eat, but, <laughs> but, but it was a, we, we created a lot more cover crop seed. And I don't think we harvested more than a couple of acres and we had 10 tons. Seeds? Yeah. I mean, it was incredible. I just like blew me away how much that, anyway, so that's far more than we could use. So we're, yeah. we've, we've sold a bunch of it to people. But then, then the other thing that happened was that um, in some of the other fields that we had this cover crop in, and even in the one that we combined, uh, we, had, we mowed them when, the, when they were mature, when the triticale was probably four to five feet tall and the vetch was growing. And by that point, the uh, the vetch had mature seeds and pods, wh which some of which had opened, and so we, we, when we mowed it, uh, a lot of that seed dropped on the ground. Well, and you know the summer was pretty dry, and everything was just sitting there for just uh, just straw yeah. on the mm -hmm. on the ground. That's all it looked like for probably a month and a half, and nothing. But guess what happened? It rained. <laughs> yeah, and and we we went to Italy, just when it started to rain. We came home from Italy, and within like ten days later, and here's this green mat all over the field, from the vetch seed in particular, which had germinated and was growing. So the so basically the cover crop reseeded itself. Well, <clears throat> that's that's one of the drawbacks if you don't. Want it to do that, and if you don't it, want to, of course, you got to get it out of there before it, yeah. you know, no, I know, before it seeds, and that's why I don't use vetch anymore because I wasn't able to get it out of there. Well, if you if we had mowed it earlier, before the before the seeds and matured, yeah. it would have yeah. been fine. But we want it, and so we're so, yeah, okay. Perfect. so yeah. yeah, so we don't have to go and do all the work on those fields. We'll see how it all works. This is the first time this has ever happened for us, so we're going to check it out and see how well it works. And eventually, we could have some possible some weed problems or something. But right now, it looks really good. Did you? Uh, I had a question there, and then, uh, well, I have to come back to it. Yeah. So well, anyway, so. Uh, I don't know if it's too late to plant. It's not uh, certain cover crops. You know, it's mid October here now. I talked to some friends who uh, who farm south uh, near Albany. Uh, recently, we went out to dinner, and 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 they were telling us that as long as the soil is not too wet, you can plant in, even in November. Well, um, I know with rye you can do that, but I don't know about the I any think, of the the legumes. I think vetch would work. But I don't know. But I, uh, I'm pretty certain you could plant now and until the end of the month. I mean, if you're, uh, if you've got yeah. your soil, if your soil is in you know reasonable shape where you could plant something, yeah, I, uh, I would do it. Uh huh. Uh huh. When when do you, when would you have typically planted the vetch? Now. Oh, okay. October. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, uh, you know, and you'd normally plow it. 
or till the uh, disk the soil to yeah i mean if we, if we were going to plant our larger fields you know we disk with and harrow and then we have a planter uh, that, that plants it but of course for a small garden you don't need to you know you don't have those that equipment yeah. but, you know you can just use a rake if you've got your soil in reasonable shape and just rake in the seed on the surface that's why you were you made the comment that you the uh, weed problem you don't know about that yet because generally if you were disking you might take care of all the weeds ahead of time yes right so. and, and, but the see but as you probably as you know i mean the see the ground because it was so dry I mean, there was nothing growing on that yeah. on that ground. Well, the same would hold you know. true for weed seeds too. You know, yes, of course, <laughs> of course, they're all uh, they're all I, waiting. <laughs> I thought that the question is: Would would you or do will you need to reseed more on these fields that have come up voluntarily? We're not going to. Yeah, uh -huh. we're, we're, well, it's this, a good experiment. It's an experiment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, well, we'll expect uh, updates on that. Sure, this is certainly next spring. Yeah, right. Okay, well, uh, let's now talk about uh, olive news. You've been certain places. What did you learn? Well, uh, olives are fun. <laughs> I mean, well, it's more important. I understand there's a big shortage in Spain, uh, which is the biggest producer of uh, olives in, well, or olive oil. Yeah, so this is interesting. So we, so we had two doses of olives, in a sense. We went to an olive conference, a symposium in California uh, in September, and then about a week, 10 days after we, I think, or so after that conference, we went to Italy. So we, we really got our, our dose yeah, of, yeah. of olives. Uh, the conference in California was interesting because, uh, for one thing, they focused on olive oil, which is, in, in I think, in Oregon, uh, not such a, I mean, it's, sure, you can maybe make some olive oil here, but there's plenty of olive oil made around the world, including California, and the climates in those places are, I think, more suitable for it. So I, so our focus at Northwoods Nursery is not olive oil, but table olives to eat. And and the conference in California was, uh, to my my opinion, too focused on the olive oil. So mm -hmm. that was a little disappointing. Mm -hmm. And another thing that was disappointing was that the the caterer that they hired, there was no olives to eat. <laughs> we ate some sort of rather disappointingly bland food of just kind of, you know. Well, that could be the organizer there too. <laughs> you know, whatever whatever went wrong with that was yeah. uh, so. But but you know, we met some some interesting people uh, from Portugal and and Spain and and uh, you know places and of course Italy, which we knew people from there already. So that was fun, but. Uh, and then we went to Italy, and our goal it was a short trip, shorter than, than usual. And our, our goal was primarily to walk through a, a collection of olive varieties and talk to people in that region. This, this is in the southern part of Italy. Uh, and and we, were, we wanted to see, uh, I mean, in Oregon, because of our climate, uh, there's a couple of very important things about olives here. One is that they need to ripen early because we don't have the heat you know a place like italy where they have summer temperatures are you know in the 90s and and nighttime temperatures don't go below 70 uh, that's a lot more warmth than we have here well you know if i can ask the question why is it important for them to produce early so they can ripen in our climate because we don't have a long enough growing season okay. for many varieties and and so my partner lane and i we, we walked down rows of olive trees and and our and we looked 
at them. And if they had black fruit, and this was in the latter part of September, we thought, oh, that's an interesting variety. And These were all different varieties? All, yeah, all different varieties. So, this is like, like the, one of the world's largest collection of all okay. varieties. Not of, a farm. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Right. And then we did visit a couple of farms, too. And, they, and our, our visits to, the, to Italy have been to cooler regions and looking learning about how they deal with it. One place we went to, not on this trip, but an earlier one, uh, they actually harvest, they, they're all, they harvest olives sometimes when there's snow on the ground. So, hmm. um, so th- this is all part of uh, a, 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 a long, long, long ago started project of looking for olives that we could grow here and and uh, and methods of using of growing them here in the Pacific Northwest and or in the western side of the Cascade Mountains, and our and our work now is. Um, you know, we we've got we have we have there are varieties at our place we are testing. There's a, a planting at the North Willamette Research and Extension Center in Aurora that they're testing uh, different varieties there. And I think within the next year or two, there's going to be a lot more information. Uh, but there are olives right now that one you can plant and and are pretty reliable here. And again, I'm focused again on ta- table olives. This is for the homeowner. I mean. Uh, to go make olive oil on a home basis is, is I think, is, uh, you know, you, you you could spend a lot of work to grow a couple of, you know, and make a very small amount couple of oil. Of t- tablespoons of oil. <laughs> yeah, right. Is it the same olive that one would use for each? There are a lot of them are the same. They call them dual purpose. There are some that are particularly useful for table olives, the larger varieties, for example, uh, that they use for that and not really used for oil. And then there are and many of the oil varieties are quite small, and and very productive. Of course, they they just want a lot of fruit, and they harvest uh-huh. them mechanically, and it's a it's a whole another it's a whole another deal for them. When you and Lorraine were walking through the these orchards and and finding black or ripe olives, did did you do you have some of those varieties now, or will you be able to get some of those varieties? Yeah, well, that's we, some some are already in the U.S. Yeah, and and are then we are working on getting others. Were any of them in? in uh, do you have planted now? Yes. Uh huh. Some of those that you saw there. Yeah. No, there, there, as I said there. Were, there was a collection in California, and what was interesting for us was to to see them ripe. In, in in at this early point in Italy, gave us more information about which ones to select. I mean, we'd already had some, and it reaffirmed our 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 interest in those varieties, uh-huh. and and that, and that's what we're we're and we're planting. We're in the process of planting our own variety trial, which is is going to be focused entirely upon early ripening uh, table olives. When you say early ripening, give, give us a idea of when that might be well october i mean you oh, want to, so it's pretty late really by by our for other fruit standards but yeah. by you know mid mid i mean uh, i mean the main thing is you want to get the olives ripe before the rainy season starts in november they ripen on the tree they ripen on the tree right so you're and and then you want to cure and then curing them is another interesting uh process too you know once you um once you have the olive uh, an olive right off the tree is not edible. You could call it ripe. You know, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I remember right. I might call it ripe, but it's not edible. So we'll call it <laughs> premature. 
I like that one. Um, and uh, and then you have to go through a process to get the bitterness out of it. And and uh, and I'm and I'm still learning about that from f- different ideas from folks about how to do it. So. Uh, and, 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 and right now, there may be some listeners that have some olives on some trees here. And, uh, in the yeah, well, it'd, be, it'd be fun to hear from those. If we do have time for a call or two, if you do have olives and want to chime in as what your experience has been, 503-231-8187. That's also the number that you'd call if you want to take a stab at which, if any, of the fruits are not native to the U.S., uh, yeah, five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. Also, once again, we'll just uh, before we skedaddle out of here. If you would like to contribute to KBU and become a member, can K- keep us on the air. That's right. <laughs> okay, my turn. <laughs> okay, well, so the the uh, the way I would probably do it because I'm kind of an email addict uh, is I would go to KBU. Uh, kboo dot fm and slash give and I would give and if I was a little higher tech which I'm not I would go I would <laughs> I would text kboo to four four three two one and do whatever they tell you to do after doing that and uh, uh, if I was sending email sending letters which I also don't do very often. Uh, I would mail one, uh, including in it, in it a check to KBOO, KBOO, 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, or, no, Portland, Oregon, <laughs> or Portland, Oregon, uh, <laughs> 97214. And we believe there's a match going on now. And we and I heard this morning on another show that there's a, a, a fairly large match. Of, I, I heard something like $14,000 or something that there, yeah. that there was uh, on the table. And if you contribute, uh, your money will be matched by that. So that's really uh, a pretty neat deal. You know. Our goal is $50,000, no, $55,000. And you can probably find out the last minute up-to-date tally on that uh, when you go to kboo.fm slash give. Okay, good morning. You're with the Dirtbag. Oh, good morning. Um, I just wanted to guess, is it persimmon? Nope. No. Persimmons are native. <laughs> now, they're not the... Jim, Jim can tell you. Sure. There's two kinds of there's two main kinds of edible persimmon, and and your guess would be correct if we were talking about Asian persimmons, which are more common. But their uh, Diospyros virginiana is a uh, it's called American persimmon. And it's a different species, and it grows wild, uh, and we have cultivated varieties too of that. So it's it, it, it's mostly on the East Coast. Yes, and the I, Midwest. The virginiani, maybe that's a hint of okay. where of where it grows. Ooh. <laughs> Where it grows. Well, you said on well, the east, on the east coast. Yeah, Jim, Virginiana so. is a, a Diospyros virginiana. The American persimmon is native to the east coast and into the Midwest, and uh, uh, and it, it's very, it's quite common there. And there, there's one in uh, a neighborhood that I run by, and 
so that's how I knew about it uh, mostly. But they're they're small, but they're edible. Boy, not only edible. Okay. Oh, right now, I'm eating them off the trees, and they are <laughs> delicious. But they are only they they they're smaller than an Asian persimmon. Much smaller. But very sweet, and and uh, and you and you have to eat them when they're soft. But they're they're uh, I I think they're great. I I think squirrels and whatnot uh, birds might get to them eventually, but the uh, the uh, chestnuts are now. So the squirrels are busy with those and leaving <laughs> everything right. else in my garden alone. So I appreciate that. Well, thanks. Uh, can't remember Liz was Liz, it? Liz, yeah, yeah. Appreciate you playing. Okay, looks like we have another call coming in here. Uh, I'll just, while we're waiting for that, I should yeah. mention about one nice thing about Italy is the food. <laughs> you know, there's the, the we we had some really delicious pizza there. <laughs> Pretty darn fun place. Good deal. Yeah, good deal. Yeah, that's. I... Okay, who did you say, Merrick? Eric. Eric, do you have a guess or a question? Dumbfounded. All right, the question, though, is which of the following fruit, if any, are not native to the U.S.? Stra strawberries, persimmon. Well, we know persimmon now. That's not the answer. See, if everybody guesses, then pretty soon there's going to be the right answer. Uh, grapes, pawpaws, and black cherries. Well, we're just about out of time, uh, Jim. Anything you want more to say about olives? Uh, you know, that's, uh, I think we covered it pretty well today, okay. and we'll uh, we'll keep talking about it. In the uh, oh. hello, uh, okay, you're back. Oh yeah, sorry about that. That's all right. Um, yeah, I uh, well, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say black cherries. I know you're running out of time. Black cherries are native to the U.S. Nah, yeah. <laughs> but just black cherries. <laughs> but good guess. Yeah, that's great because no, that's I, kind of unusual. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, but I, I had an olive tree. Um, question at all but i may be running out of time no you got a minute or less okay well yeah i've got <clears throat> i've got an albertina uh, i think that's how you pronounce it um i got from portland nursery about seven years ago and it's finally putting out some um a decent amount of olives but they're still all green and i don't have i've been told that i found out later that you're supposed to have maybe a second olive tree to help the pollination but it it finally did it this year but there's only a few that have actually turned uh, black, and I'm just wondering if it, you can still harvest them when they're green. Uh, yes, the answer is yes. And uh, if you have some turning black, I would say you could probably harvest uh, them all. Uh, and because green olives are fine too, and you can you can cure green olives; uh, they don't have to be black. And, 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 yeah. And, uh, the the when, when they're firm, you know. So this is mid Well, we're not. Would we say yes? Mid October, yeah, we're yeah. getting we're pretty yeah. So I'd say, you know, the, you know, you could harvest them, sure. Okay, so and, yeah, and I've, yeah, I've had green olives in Spain before, so I know it's possible. But I just uh, didn't know if there was varieties that you're just supposed to harvest when they're green or when they're black. But it sounds like when they're ideal, it's black. But they, um, they usually will have a change in color. Uh, go from a darker green to a little to a lighter green uh, as they as they ripen. And as I said, if you have black black fruit on the tree or even close to black, even a change in color where they're getting a little dark, that's a that's that's okay. I mean, then you're 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 you can cure those olives and they'll be delicious. 
Oh, cool. Great. Excellent. Well, and, and you don't I'll, need I'll a, do that in the next week or so. You don't need another uh, variety. Well, Arbequina is reportedly self-fertile, so okay. um, you know that's probably yeah. why you have fruit. And and they're wind pollinated, so uh, you know the the tree obviously got the, enough movement of pollen yeah. around from those flowers. Just mm. needed to get big enough. Okay, yeah. we better oh, cool. we better skeet out of here. <laughs> okay, thanks for the call. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll either. Uh, Maybe somebody will email us the answer to the question, but if not, we'll answer it next uh, month. Yeah. Right. Okay, Jim, thank you very much for uh, uh, all the great information. It has been a busy month, certainly, or two months. Uh, Ty, thank you very much for helping us out there. This is Glenn Andreessen. This is the Dirtbag. We'll leave with another. It's not COVID. This is the uh, New Riders of the Purple Sage. I don't need no doctor. You're listening to KB.